All right. Good evening. That's better. Uh, I'd like to say some more to start with about um, not being a meditator or not meditating. <clears throat> you know, uh, one of the, uh, again, one of the problems about being a meditator is that, uh, generally speaking, you'll try to learn how to do it better and better. You'll want to do it you know, if you're going to do something, wouldn't you want to do it well and then get better at it? So, um, and this is especially in our culture, if you're a, a type A person like I was for many years, then you, um, you start jogging, then, well, let's, and then at first it's enjoyable and it's a break from your, all your type A, then, you, then it's like, no, I'm going to become world class for people 60 and over. Or I started taking photographs and that was a lot of fun and then, and then it was a business. I'll sell them. So I glued hundreds of cards a week, and they used to be in the bookstore here. <laughs> so this is, um, uh, you know, tempting if you're going to meditate to bring your same, the same worldly sensibility to the practice of meditation. I'll get better at it. I might even become famous. <laughs> Meditation is not real conducive to this because only so many people can make their living by doing nothing. But, <laughs> but there are some niches in our society. So we have a fairly complicated, elaborate eco structure for, you know, careers. <clears throat> uh, so um, if you think about it, you know, people say, How's your meditation? And then you say, Oh, not so good. Or you say, oh, it's great. And what is it that's not so good? And what is it that's great? And basically it means sometimes you have a pleasant experience and sometimes you have an unpleasant one and then you call the pleasant one better. As though you were meditating better when you were having a pleasant experience. And when you were having an unpleasant experience, you must not have been meditating so well. And that if you're doing well, you have better experiences and if you're doing poorly, you have worse ones. Is that true? <laughs> I, I don't think so, you know. I mean, it's just basic Buddhism. There's pleasant and there's unpleasant. <laughs> like, and they come and go. And, and, it's just not, and it's not true that if something unpleasant happens, it must be you're, pun you're getting punished. You, we start to think if it's really painful, what did I do wrong? What to, and there must be a better way to meditate if it's really painful. But on the other hand, one of the things that happens in meditation is you're softening, you're letting go, and you're not muscling your way through life anymore. You're becoming, uh, as I mentioned, vulnerable. So you're starting to be receiving experience rather than dictating to the world how it needs to behave to make you happy whether you're meditating or not. So you're starting to receive, and part of what you might notice is uh, feelings and things from a long time ago. You might start noticing your, you know, you might remember things from your childhood and you start to feel things that, you know, have been kind of buried for a long time. And you'll, you'll, start, you'll start being, uh, experiencing all kinds of things that, um, Weren't on your map of, I will become a great meditator so I rise above everything and don't have to deal with any of that caca stuff that's down there on earth level plane and I will be... Our, our, you know, one of our ideas of religion in the West is transcend, transcendent, rise above rather than uh, Buddhism is more imminent or 
enter into your body, there you'll find a solid place to put your feet, sort of thing. Um, and uh, being incarnating, we say, into your own life. You know, incarnating into your own, rather than rising above, being here. And actually here, as you noticed at the end of the meditation, and the room, the whole feeling in the room shifted. We had a whole period to meditate, and then, oh, when we're here, there could be blessings. Oh, okay. And what does that have to do with your performance? Your good, your good meditation performance? Not really. You know, does it have to do with your poor meditation? No. It's there. When you, when we choose, you know, I will. I will enter into my body, I will enter into this moment, I will be here and I will receive this, this moment. I will receive rather than telling the world how it needs to behave so that I look good in my meditation. So this is one of the dangers, uh, the kind of danger we have with you know, meditating like we might do anything. We're going to get better and then we might get a passing grade. We might become certifiable. Which, depending on whether you, you know, are or not, you might have different views of. <laughs> Plenty of people have told me, you're not a Zen master. Okay. So, um, I wanted to mention, uh, when I started to meditate, um, uh, 1965, Um, after about a year, I had my first individual interview with Suzuki Roshi. And we bow three times to the altar, then we bow to him, half prostration bows. Then you uh, bow facing your cushion, bow away, sit down, turn around, and then you're sitting. You know, uh, the cushions are about six inches apart, and the zafus are about three feet apart, and so there's this Zen master. So I didn't know what to say. What do you say? <clears throat> yeah, welcome. <laughs> nice to see you, dude. <laughs> Seen any good movies lately? <laughs> um, you tend not to chit-chat in the <laughs> Tokesan. But anyway, after a while, I was just sitting there, and after about a minute, he said, um, so uh, tell me, how is your meditation? How is it? And I said, oh, it's not so good. Really? What, what, uh, what's not so good? And I said, well, I'm thinking a lot. And he said, Uh, what's the problem about thinking? And I looked for the problem about thinking and I couldn't find it. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, you're not supposed to. <laughs> you, you tell us not to think. You say, don't think, you know, just follow your breath. Don't, don't think. So... I'm thinking a lot, um, but, you know, so we're not supposed to. And then he said, I think thinking is pretty normal, don't you? <laughs> so I had to admit, I, well, I guess, yeah, I guess thinking is pretty natural, yeah, pretty natural. Um, so, and then he said, well, you know, if you, if you continue to meditate, there may be times uh, when you don't think so much, but I wouldn't worry about it. And, um, and he also said, you know, the, the problem with thinking is not so much that uh, it's thinking, but that you tend to keep thinking the same thing. 
And if you keep that thinking going, then you can go on thinking it, and when your thinking stops, you might get some new information. You might notice something that you didn't notice while you were thinking. And then that what the things that you notice could inform or shift your thinking. A couple of weekends ago, I went to a, a class with an, a teacher of, uh, of mine, not a Buddhist teacher, but a teacher who does hands-on healing, uh, Lansing uh, Barrett Gresham. He's in Ronert Park. I went to, I used to go quite a lot to work with him about 10 years ago or more. Uh, and he says, um, thinking, with your thinking, you project a plan into the future and, you know, how you can get a certain result. Which would be fine, except that the other thing you do is filter out any information that would lead you to believe your thinking was not accurate. <laughs> so that way, you can keep on thinking this and keep projecting yourself into a future that you never get to. So if you're planning to get better at meditation, <laughs> it's not going to happen, probably. And then how would you know which meditation was better, which wasn't? Could you know for sure? This is a little bit like, um, you know, this moment now. Is it, is it a good one? Is it a bad one? Is it better? Is it worse? And if we're always assessing, like, as though... Our assessment of the moment, better, worse, not so good, okay, like it, um, as though our judgment about the moment was going to affect the moment. I mean, it's one thing if you, if you, with somebody else, you know, and parents and kids are often teachers, students, you know, you need to behave to gain my approval. That wasn't good behavior. You need to change your behavior. And if you change your behavior, I will approve. But if you tried that with the moments of your life, like they were your student, you need to change your behavior, world, universe, body, mind, so that I will approve of you. Otherwise, I will withhold my approval. But who are you withholding your approval from? That's you. <laughs> That's your body and mind that you're not approving of. Why would you not approve of yourself? It's doing the best it can, you know. <laughs> and uh, from the start, free. From the start, our body and mind is free, and it's always been free, and nobody's going to be able to do anything to less than making it, you know, less than it being free. Freely giving you, in other words, you don't tell your ears what to hear or not hear. You don't tell your eyes what to see or not see. You don't tell your uh, mouth, you know, what to taste or not taste. You let, you let your body-mind give you experience. And then if you start telling it, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't approve of the kind of flavors you're giving me. You need to come up with, you need to come up with better sounds, better tastes. Uh, and if you're meditating, you need to quiet down. You need to get more quiet. And give me some insightful experience. Give me something... <laughs> so in this way, we tend to, you know, Lord, attempt to have the high status position. <clears throat> Uh, so I have another poem for you here uh, by our, our local poet, Kay Ryan. Uh, Kay said that, you know, the secret to her success, um, she was getting, for years, she got rejection letters. Uh, and she decided, you know what, I need a bigger mailbox. And it needs to be a brighter color. 
So she'd had a little mailbox, and then she got a big <laughs> mailbox, had it painted bright red. Then her poem started being accepted. <laughs> when she won the Pulitzer Prize, she went out to tell her gardener, I've won the Pulitzer Prize. And the gardener's like, Hi. he's speaking Spanish, you know. And she's grande, grande. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> so here's a poem of Kay's that was in The New Yorker that I liked. Um, <clears throat> say you hoped to tame something. Something. Say you hoped to tame something wild. And stayed calm and inched up day by day. Say you hoped to tame something wild and stayed calm and inched up day by day. Things went along. Oh, or even not tame it, but meet it halfway. Things went along. You made progress, understanding it would be a lengthy process. Sensing changes in your hair and nails. So it's strange when it attacks. You thought you had a deal. So this is reminding me now of uh, my teacher, my, one of my other Zen teachers, Kat, Katagiri Roshi, who, who said to us sometimes, Zen practice is not like training a dog. <laughs> Sit, heal, quiet. You tell yourself what the behavior you want and you tell yourself the behavior you don't want. How's it going? <laughs> and who says that behavior that you think would gain approval and recognition and keep you from being rejected, you would gain more approval and recognition with this compliant behavior if your dog, if you could get your dog to do the behavior you could, oh, what a well-behaved dog. <laughs> and Katagura, she would say, Zen is not like taming your dog. We're already, you know, again, what, you're, what you might be trying to tame is, is, is our consciousness. Why wouldn't we actually, the great... Spiritual value is choice, freedom, liberation. Something could occur to you that hasn't occurred to you before. And you could find yourself moving in ways and places and that you haven't moved before. This is like the uh, poem uh, Juan Ramon Jimenez, the Spanish poet. He said, uh, sometimes my ship has struck something deep beneath the surface and nothing happens. Nothing. Silence, waves, nothing happens. Or has everything happened and we sit here calmly, brightly in the new life? In order to have anything new, in order to learn anything, you'll have to set aside your agenda and your plan and your focus and have some catastrophes and failures in your meditation. <laughs> or you'll end up with a well-trained dog. <laughs> and you'll be the last one to approve. 
Uh, so I have uh, one more poem for you. This is actually another poem by William Stafford, who, you know, I, I shared that other poem at the end of meditation with you. Um, yes, it could happen anytime. Uh, William Stafford is known, um, he wrote a poem every day, and uh, one day a woman came to interview him and said, um, Mr. Stafford, I hear from your friend Robert Bly that you have a practice of writing a poem every day. And um, Mr. Stafford said, yes, I do. And I, I get up, I start to work on the poem, and then I, I have a shelf where I keep it. I get the kids up, I get them breakfast, I get them to school. Sometimes I can work on it during the day. If not, I finish it before I go to bed. And the interviewer said, that's really wonderful, that's amazing, but how do you do it? Day after day, how could you be inspired like that? you know, day in and day out, and write a poem every day. And he said, I lower my standards. <laughs> That's a little bit like, uh, you know, stopping not being a poet anymore. <laughs> uh, so this is um, a poem called uh, Cutting Loose. Cutting Loose. Uh, and it's actually, and that's, it's a poem about, you know, um, anyway, I'll tell you the poem. But it has to do with my theme tonight. <clears throat> Sometimes from sorrow, for no reason, you sing. Sometimes from sorrow, for no reason, you sing. For no reason, you accept the way of being lost, cutting loose from all else and electing a world where you go where you want to. Arbitrary sound comes, a reminder that a steady center is holding all else a reminder that a steady center is holding all else. If you listen, that sound will tell where it is and you can slide your way past trouble. If you listen, that sound will tell where it is and you can slide your way past trouble. Certain twisted monsters always block the path. <laughs> right? <laughs> Certain twisted monsters always block the path, but that's when you get going best. Glad to be lost. Learning how real it is here on earth again and again learning how real it is here on earth again and again. Uh, sometimes from sorrow for no reason you sing. For no reason you accept the way of being lost cutting loose from all else and electing a world where you go where you want to. Arbitrary sound comes, a reminder that a steady center is holding all else. If you listen, that sound will tell where it is and you can slide your way past trouble. Certain twisted monsters always bar the path but that's when you get going best, glad to be lost, learning how real 
it is here on earth again and again. Uh, you accept the way of being lost. Uh, you know, practicing uh, meditation gives us, uh, you know, some structure, a place. We have a place to sit. We have um, a time. And within that context <coughs> of place and time, body, uh, we can be uh, completely lost. Don't try this, you know, while you're driving. <laughs> while you're driving, you want to be, you want to look around, you want to respond to everything. In meditation, you can be lost. And we don't know exactly what which is lost and which is found, or you know, when you're lost, you will find things. Uh, and you find, you know, you have uh, companions, uh, friends uh, in the dark, uh, friends in your own being. Uh, this is also, um, you know, some traditions have prayer. Um, Buddhism is more like just saying, help. <laughs> so if you're lost, you can always say, help, please help. And help comes. Help comes because you're lost. When you know uh, where you're going and how to get there, Suzuki Roshi said, Zen is like feeling your way along in the dark. And he would hold his hand out. He'd say, when you're... You might think it would be better to know where you're going and how to get there. But if you know where you're going and how to get there, you go a little too fast. And you want other things to get out of your way. So you're not very sensitive. You're not very careful. You don't, you're not very much in accord with things. Because you have somewhere you want to go. When you're in the dark, he said, then you don't know where you're going, but you're very sensitive. What's, what's there? So this is why in Zen, uh, related to, you know, stop meditating, <coughs> we say uh, not knowing. Not knowing is a good practice. You don't know what you're, what you're trying to experience, what you're aiming to do, what, you're, what the point is, and you carefully feel your way along. So you're very, you're very, you're quite sensitive. And when you meet something, you're not sure. Is it a problem? <laughs> is, it, is it something to uh, embrace? Is it something to push away? So you're careful. And he said, then when you when you'll get someplace, you didn't know where you would get to, but when you get there, you'll find, this is pretty nice. This is okay.
Uh, one of the, um, there's two, um, you know, factors of, excuse me, meditation. <laughs> that I want to remind you about, <laughs> or that may um, be pertinent at this point. Um, I'm working a lot uh, recently on, on the factor of what's called ease. Uh, ease is the factor of mind, you know, where you, you feel at home. You feel comfortable. The word is actually for ease is actually sukha, which is the opposite of dukkha, the well-known suffering that Buddhism suggests is everywhere <laughs> and always. Life is dukkha, <laughs> suffering. Um, but there's actually also sukha. <laughs> and, um, you know, Buddhists who are will explain to you that sukha is also dukkha, you know. Don't, 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 don't worry about it because, uh, you know, the sukha is not that great because, you know, it comes to an end. <laughs> it's not reliable. You can't have it whenever you want it. And, of course, any of us with addiction problems, we understand this. <laughs> um but I'm uh, appreciating uh, this ease or, um, you know, um, it's, it's also the sense of, you know, of being settled or being at home where you are. So this is the, the, the possibility of making yourself at home in your body, in your mind, at this place, in this time. You're at home here. So... You know, you, you move in, make yourself at home. Then uh, sometimes you realize, like, oh, this place could use some. <laughs> this place could use some cleaning up. So maybe you want to do a little cleaning up. But, you know, cleaning up can get, as you know, kind of out of hand. <laughs> <clears throat> So uh, there's this uh, possibility of, of being at home, settled, at ease, comfortable in your body, comfortable in your mind. And it's possible to learn something then. When we're making a lot of effort and to get someplace, we're not able to learn. You know, we're just, we're following the rules. I want to, but I can't. I'd like to, but I shouldn't. <laughs> <No. clears throat> uh, so, uh, uh, we often get focused on this um, and track of getting someplace. And I don't know about you, but I finding it's useful, especially recently, to... Um, find some comfort, some ease. Sometimes a friend is very good for this, you know, somebody. Uh, recently I was very upset, I asked my partner Margot, could you hold me? <laughs> uh, it just took about five minutes. Um, and, you know, I, for years I haven't been able to do this. Because, you know, like, oh, comfort, you know, that's for sissies. <laughs> or, or something, you know, like, no, no, it just, this is just way too painful. No, it's just not going to, and I don't want to be needy, because if I'm needy, if I need something, they're not going to like me. They'll reject me if I'm needy, and, you know, I've got all these ideas and notions. And besides that, it's so painful, and what would a little comfort help? So recently I was working with uh, someone and she said, uh, she had me sit uh, right in front of her and I had my arm around her thigh. She was sitting behind me you know, on a, one of these big bouncy balls. And I'm sitting there and I'm feeling really lost. <laughs> I could tell you more about what that's like, but you know, <laughs> you probably have your own pictures. Um, and. Um, after about five minutes, she said, Ed, how are you doing? And I was, you know, and this was incredible presence that I was in, this person. Incredible presence. 
like um, a, a, a room, a room of uh, made of light. Um, and um, but in the meantime, I'm feeling so lost that I'm 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 completely terrified and terrified, lost and terrified. And so I'm not breathing very well. What's going to happen? And then after a while she says, so Ed, how are you doing? I said, well, you know, I'm really, I'm really scared. And she said, let me explain this, okay? Comfort is available. <laughs> So you don't have to stop being scared. It's okay for you to be scared. I'm not trying to tell you what to feel or not feel, but so you can go on being scared, but just take a little little part of your awareness and and start receiving the comfort that's possible to receive that you can okay? So of course it didn't take long. I started receiving comfort and then I got more and more feeling like it's oh I'm okay, even though I'm scared. That actually I'm safe. I feel scared, but I'm safe. I'm feeling fragile, but I'm safe. I'm here. I'm you know supported by this place, these people, this space. This is what you have in in meditation, with a room full of people sitting, teachers. The presence of Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, who are not necessarily embodied. And Zen Master Dogen says, uh, Buddhas don't always know that they're Buddhas. That includes most of us. <laughs> um, but I want you to know, um, because and this is, you know, I'm, I'm almost 68. Isn't, don't you think it's about time I got this teaching? <laughs> Comfort is available. <laughs> Maybe we Zen people, we're just sort of slow about these things. But we don't always hear, you know, the teaching that's available. I have here a, you know, a lecture by Suzuki Roshi. I edited a book of lectures by Suzuki Roshi, so I heard him give this lecture. And after 25 or 30 years, I edited the lecture. So to an extent, I could practice this, but on the other hand, there's ways in which I'm just now starting to sense like, oh, there actually is this possibility. I don't have to be so in the grip of my uh, trauma, terror, fragility, overwhelm, I could, and you know, a person is good, trees are good. You can ask the tree if you can sit with them. Check it out. And the beach is nice. You know, there's places where you can find, you can go to find comfort. But pick something wholesome, you know. <laughs> I mean, there, you know, some people talk about comfort in a bottle, but it only goes so far, you know. I'll tell you a, I'll tell you a story about that, which is one of my favorite stories. Um, uh, my a student of mine, Carl Dern, died about three years ago now. Some of you may know he's an artist here in Fairfax, metal sculptor. And finally, after years of um, uh, welding and blowtorching and different things with metal, his lungs had filled up with metal that had been volatile in the air, and then when you breathe it in, it becomes metal in your lungs. Um, and Carl had been in AA for 37 or 40 years or something, finally. And um, he wanted to become a Buddhist teacher, so we were working together on that, because he wanted to teach uh, meditation and so on to AA, people in AA. And he had become a sponsor. So uh, years ago, one of his uh, sponsors, um, who had been sober for 45 or 50 years, his wife died. And he was completely distraught, beside himself, 
terribly, um, just terribly pained and grieving and um, beside himself, didn't know what to do. And finally, after several days of this, he thought, screw it, I'm going to go drink. I'll get shit face plastered. I think he may live in Fairfax, too. And he decided to go, he would go back to the bars in Nevada where he used to drink. So he went to San Rafael and got on a Greyhound bus. You know, it's the middle of the afternoon or something. And the, there's hardly anybody on the bus. The, the windows aren't really that clean, you know, and floors are kind of a little dirty. And so, and he's thinking about all this. So they got to Ignacio. Bus stops, and a young woman gets on the bus, and she's pretty well dressed, 22, 25 years old, um, you know, attractive. And he's thinking, oh, well, beautiful young woman, and sure she wouldn't have anything to do with someone like me. The woman was walking down the bus, walking down the bus, walking down the bus didn't just sit down in one of the empty seats and walked right up to him and she said, Hi, Bill, whatever, his, I can't remember his name, but Hi, Bill, you were the speaker at my first AA meeting. You saved my life. <laughs> Isn't that a great example of help or comfort or... So we don't exactly know where um, some comfort or help, uh, you know, might come from. Uh, Suzuki Roshi said, um, Our aim in meditation is to have complete experience or full feeling in each moment of our practice. What we teach is that enlightenment and practice are one. But my practice was what we call stepladder Zen. I'll understand this much now, and next year I'll understand a little bit more. <laughs> Say you hope to tame something wild. <laughs> and inched up day by day. That kind of practice doesn't make much sense. I could never be satisfied. If you try step-ladder practice, maybe you too will realize it is a mistake. If we do not have a warm, big satisfaction in our practice, that is not true practice. Even though you sit, trying to have the right posture and counting your breath, it may still be lifeless because you are just following instructions. You are not kind enough with yourself. You think if you follow the instructions given by a teacher, then you will have good meditation. But really the purpose of instruction is to be kind with yourself. Do not count your breaths just to avoid your thinking, but to take the best care of your breathing. If you are very kind with your breathing, one breath after another, you will have a refreshed, warm feeling in your practice. When you have a warm feeling for your body and for your breath, then you can take care of your practice and you will be fully satisfied. When you are very kind with yourself, naturally you will feel like this. A mother will take care of her child even though she may have no idea how to make her baby happy. Similarly, when you take care of your posture and your breathing, there is a warm feeling in it. When you have a warm feeling in your practice, that is a good example 
of the great mercy of Buddha. Whether you are a priest or a layperson, this practice will extend to your everyday life. You will take the utmost care of whatever you do, and you will feel good. Okay, thank you. Um, if you'd like, we have a few minutes. If you'd like, if some of you want to leave, um, be on your way, you're welcome to. We have a few minutes for those of you who'd like to stay. I will, um, if you have questions or comments, uh, observations, interests, you're welcome to bring it up, bring something up. <clears throat> So I can pass a mic around if anyone has a public question. Since um, a number of people seem to be leaving, I'd like to wish you a good evening, safe travels, turn right. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, your teaching. Uh, you mentioned the factor of ease, and I'm wondering if you might be willing to divulge the second factor. Oh, the other factor I was thinking about was joy. Um, you know, um, joy is a factor that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh emphasizes, of course. Uh, because he teaches people, please enjoy your breath rather than saying, follow your breath. Or, And um, our habit of mind, the, the five factors of absorption uh, are application of mind. You, you apply your awareness to something, that's work or effort. You take your awareness and you try to see if you can adhere it, get it to adhere to the object of awareness and stick it on there. And then there's sustained application, considered to be a second factor. The third factor is ease, the fourth is joy, and the fifth is mental one-pointedness. If you think about it, obviously, the more you're comfortable and at ease, the more your awareness is just going to stay there, because it's comfortable and easy there. Why would you go somewhere else? And if you have joy as well, then even more, you enjoying your, you're enjoying the moment, you're comfortable, you're settled, you're happy, you're pleased, um, then your awareness doesn't go off somewhere else. So usually, though, we're trying to concentrate with our effort rather than also um, allowing for or cultivating some comfort, ease, or some joy. Joy, in this sense, is the sense of a connection or resonating. Connection is probably a good word. Um, but it's, it's where the awareness resonates with the object of awareness. So there's a sense of connection and being with resonating, vibrating, attune, in attunement with the object. Um, and again, you know, our culture is just so driven around, you know, like, you know, how do I handle this? It's not about how can I be with this or how do I resonate with something. It's how do I handle it? So I can, you know, get on, get on with things, <laughs> get to where I'm going. You know, how do I clear this up? How do I, rather than how do I be with things? So joy and ease is more about like, well, you know, come on home, settle in. Um, do the work you need to do to be at home and to, to be friends with yourself in your own home and with the, with the people in your life. And 
find out how to do that. So, so anyway, joy is the other factor. And um, of course, in the sutras, you know, there's five levels of joy, all the way from you have a little <laughs> to um, you know the hair rises on your arms. Uh, to the flooding joy, to the rapturous joy, and the fifth one is transporting joy. So if you wanted to hear the Buddha talk and you couldn't get to his lecture, you could possibly be show up at the lecture just because of your joy. <laughs> but, um, and it's actually fairly common in Buddhist practices, um, and there's... Uh, um, uh, the Goenka school of Vipassana, of course, um, is, is one of them, but where you can... Thich Nhat Hanh's simple version is, uh, as you inhale, let your chest fill with compassion. As you exhale, pour it over your head. Give yourself some refreshment. And let it seep down. And that refreshment can be ease, comfort, joy, well-being, uh, or it can just... Uh, you're bringing your awareness down and just noting uh, what's happening. So um, there, and <clears throat> another version in Zen, uh, the great Zen master Hakuin was uh, quite distressed and disturbed and had something like tuberculosis or something. And he went, to, he finally went to see an old hermit and the hermit said, you take a, a little, um, some butter about the size of a duck's egg and you Mix in some faith and compassion and warm-heartedness and kindness and and a number of these things. And you mix it all into that and then put it on your forehead. Let it melt down. And uh, and that saved him. He then got well. From so um, some people have more the feeling like like I had for so long. Don't want to go there. That's not real Buddhism. <laughs> But actually, uh, just you know, it's actually um, big, big piece of Buddhism, and um, some of us just you know have all of us. We tend to stick to our own reality, right? Because we know what's what. <laughs> so yeah, comfort, uh, ease, uh, joy, and joy, of course, is uh, also one of the seven. Wings of Enlightenment. Uh, and, uh, of course, the Buddhist, the big Buddhist, uh, you know, one of the, the main Buddhist teachings, of course, is that joy, ease, are not something that the object is going to provide for you. Allow yourself to, you know, go ahead and cultivate it. Don't, don't depend on the object and how do I get the object that's going to bring me ease or that's going to bring me joy. Otherwise, you're at the mercy of the world. You're a victim of what happens to show up in your life. And you can't seem to get enough of the right things to give you the joy that you want and the, the, or the ease that you want. So without depending on anything outside, with your breath, with your body, with the world, with your thinking, have, start to cultivate a kindness, a joy, and ease. Um, Settling in, you know, um, this isn't, uh, many people have said, and Buddhism says, you know, this isn't exactly an appealing place to be, you know. Um, they use that, one of that metaphors is um, form is like a bubble because it's uh, a mass of foam with the appearance of something that fails to be there. <laughs> and feelings are like a bubble because they soon burst. Perceptions are like a mirage or a magic show, so you can't depend on them. You know, formative feelings are like a plantain tree. There's no core or substance. It's just a bunch of um, flimsy stuff. And uh, consciousness itself is um, like a magic show or a shadow or a dream. Of, you know. So what kind of place is this? You know, but that's the one we have. Move in. <laughs> Um, have some a little sense of humor with the whole deal. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just talking. Thank you for bringing that up. But I didn't Thank get you. To it. The joy.
Something else? Yeah, we have one here. Okay. I want to say thank you for your laughter. Uh-huh. I'm wondering if you um, have always laughed this much, or is this a Zen thing? No, I, I actually have. Um, uh, I was thinking about talking about that tonight, but I. Anyway, no, I, I actually was a very serious Zen student for many years, and um, and then I decided that um, it wasn't working. <laughs> Uh, and I actually started practicing how to have a, you know, having a sense of humor. <laughs> well, you know, um, uh, that la- I don't know, but uh, last summer, I, um, my mother, um, my mother's parents were both born in Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic, uh, and they both came here about the turn of the century, you know, about 1900. They got married in Tyndall, South Dakota. Um, my mother was born um, in South Dakota in 1907. Uh, so this last summer, I had the opportunity to go to the Czech Republic, and I went to where my grandmother was from and where my grandfather was from. And, uh, and right away, when you're in the Czech Republic, these are not the Germans, these are not the Austrian. These are not the Americans. These are not the empire builders. <laughs> These are not the rulers. So I think part of my sense of humor comes from the fact that I am not one of the rulers. <laughs> it's hard to have much of a sense of humor when you're like... <laughs> Compliance <laughs> is requested. Not just requested, demanded. <laughs> so um, anyway, the Czechs have quite a good sense of humor. So I may have gotten some of that without even knowing it. So it's hard to, and they say that the Czechs have um, especially good uh, self-deprecating sense of humor. That's one of their favorites. So I may have, um, you know, my mother died when I was three, so I I didn't really spend much time growing up with the Czechs, but hey. But somehow it seems to have, um, so my humor, if anything, is self-deprecating. And uh, the Czechs are also good at um, what's called in English sandbagging. Sandbagging is, oh, um, you know, you're betting in poker and then you say, um, oh, well, I have four aces, is that good for anything? (laughs) (laughs) So if if you have anything you're good at, you don't tell anybody. You know, you don't you don't let on what you might be good at, or you know, and you you learn to kind of keep your head down and do what you want without attracting attention. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you all for coming tonight. I'd like to end with um, I enjoy uh, doing the chant Ho, which is a Japanese word for um, uh, Dharma. So if you would join me, uh, I like to use this as a way uh, we enter into the sound and then you let the sound wash through you. This is to share the merit and blessing of our practice with all beings, starting with all the beings in the room, letting the sound wash through you, and then joining in the sound and as a prayer, sending it out to the world. And we'll chant for about a minute or so and then we'll probably come to an end or also hit the bell again.
Uh, thank you again, blessings, safe travels, warm wishes. Oh, you, oh, that's right. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.